Well, this morning, I'm going to be honest with you. I am a sentimental person. A lot of times, uh, I can drive to places that I've formerly lived and remember the memories of those days, and uh, my heart is very warmed, and my, my eyes begin to uh, tear up. And uh, as I think back, I, uh, growing up in New York, I had a godly mother and father who, uh, who instructed us in the truth of God's word. And uh, I know it's hard to discern which one of these people are me, because uh, me because there's not a lot of facial hair, but I'm right here. And uh, let me just say, I remember all the blessings, uh, the friends and the people and my home church in New York that, uh, that God blessed me with, and just warm memories as I think back to those days. I remember the time that God saved me. Uh, even though I was a student growing up in the youth group, growing up in the church, um, I was a lost person sitting in the pew until the Spirit of God showed me my lostness. And uh, as I think back to that time in Buffalo, New York, uh, that, the, that I called on the name of the Lord and I was born again, and, and things began to make sense. Like worship and prayer and reading the Word of God, it wasn't just a checklist of Christian responsibilities, but it was it was for joy to know the Lord and to worship Him and exalt Him. And I, I remember the day that that God called me into ministry, uh, something that I had no aspirations for before the week that God called me, and I left that week knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that my plan A and plan, plan B for my life was to serve the Lord in ministry. And uh, since those days, uh, as serving at a camp in Indiana, um, God has led me into ministry. I remember my first ministry, and I'm going to go to that season of time, my first ministry just across the river in South Point, Ohio. Um, I, was, uh, I was young, uh, probably ignorant of a lot of things, but at the same time, I had such a zeal and joy in the gospel that God would allow me to be a part of his ministry. And, uh, and I was just so hungry to serve the Lord. And during that season, the Lord placed that young lady in my life. And uh, just as I think about and even sometimes walk through the town of South Point, remembering the things that God has blessed me with. And uh, I, I don't want to labor much longer, but I think about how God's had sent me to Georgia, and I remember the people and the places. I can close my eyes and remember the the homes that we lived in, and I remember the first time uh, putting my head up to my wife's belly and feeling uh, feeling a fist or a foot hit me of a of a baby, a new life inside her womb, and uh, just so many memories, sweet memories. I remember uh, just our time uh, there, how God had blessed in ministry, but. Man, we were fully content in ministry. And uh, I, I get a phone call, and I say content. Life was good there. But I had, a, I had a stirring, and my wife did, that God would call me to this place. And I think back to the sweet memories of that, that uh, I'm going to share a couple funny pictures of our time just here. Um, serving in the, the garage, man, it was a joy over the last couple of months um, just to see how God has taken care of us through these days. And uh, we, we took a leap that felt like a huge leap of faith at the time. But we've seen the blessing of, of walking with Jesus and how God has cared for us and he placed people around us that, that, that looked out for us and cared for us and encouraged us in the Lord. And uh, so thankful for the blessing of God. And I recognize that all these blessings 
come from him. And I, the, the verse comes into my mind as I was sitting preparing um, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And it says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is unchanging. And it, and it literally means every good act of giving and every perfect gift. So it's not just the gift that he's given, but the act of how he gave or the giving itself is good. And uh, it's hard to understand the goodness of God some days. And so as we look to the things that God is, has blessed us with, even in the good times and bads, we acknowledge that every good gift was from God. But I'm afraid, let me say, I'm afraid that, that we count our blessings to cope with the hard days. We count our blessings to cope with the tough times and the days that it's hard to look out and see the sunshine. It just seems like a cloudy day and storms all around us. And I, let me say, we count our blessings for the purpose of coping with those days. But I want to encourage you that we are called to be thankful in everything. And, and specifically, in every circumstance of life, be thankful for what God is doing in that tough season. Uh, I love the verses here, First uh, Thessalonians 5. He's, Paul speaks to the church of Thessalonica. He says, rejoice always. He's not speaking of happiness. He's speaking of a joy that comes with abiding in Jesus and acknowledging that he, as a sovereign God, is in control. He says, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. The King James says, give thanks, be thankful in everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So listen, we are, we're thankful for the provisions, the people. We're even thankful for the peace of God. But I, I, I challenge myself, am I thankful for the problems and the pain? Am I thankful for the tough situations and seasons of life? Most of the time in the word of God, the, the idea of giving thanks is in reference to trials. That the, the thanksgiving in our heart, obviously we have thanksgiving in our heart when times are good, but it's the times when things are bad, do we thank him? Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, and, and I want to frame it just a little bit. Um, we've just been following through the church, and, and we get to chapter 16, and we see verse 1 through 5, this, this young man named Timothy. Um, and ironically, he was, it's going to come up in a little bit, but he was half Jew and half Gentile. He, was, he had a father who was a Gentile and a mother who was a Jew. And this is all taking place in what is now modern day Turkey, Western Turkey. And so one, verses 1 through 5 speak to the, the meeting of Timothy. Then you turn to verses 6 through 10. It, it speaks about this Macedonian vision, this Macedonian call. And I, I have a verse here. It says, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Uh, listen, I, I never 
uh, had a dream of Steve Willis appearing to me in, in a dream in the middle of the night and saying, come to West Virginia and help us. But, uh, but since the Lord directing us, now in this situation, it was the gospel going to the Gentiles, intentionally going to a people who had never heard. And so if you follow along through the storyline, um, verse 11, Paul goes straightway. He's going straight into Neapolis. And uh, that's a city I had the privilege of driving down to it. And bear me a second to share. Uh, you come into this port city and to think that Paul would have come through this bay with mountains all over. He's looking at the same mountains and came in and the gospel entered Greece, Macedonia, right here. The gospel went to the Gentiles. And uh, as I sat there, one of our hotels was down on the, on the bay and uh, I, I thought about that while I was there many times, uh, thinking that Paul brought the gospel to this town. And uh, this is now called Kavala, which, uh, which really means, uh, it talks about the Calvary. That's where their Calvary was for years, it's, um, and they had a privilege of staying there. But the, Paul went there and, and went 10 miles inland to the primary city at that time, which was Philippi. And when he was there, he's doing a survey, if you want to call it that. And he went outside the city and he came upon a young lady named Lydia. And uh, I had a privilege, whether it is true that it happened here or not, had the privilege of standing next to this river where uh, the Lydia, the maker of purple, um, she was there at this place and she, uh, she believed in God, but she had never heard the gospel and she came under conviction by the Spirit of God, trusted Christ, and brought the gospel to her home. And so God was stirring just in this short period of time. And so as I, as I, I'm going to show you a couple more pictures. Philippi is no longer a city because of the earthquakes. And so you see they're trying to uh, dig out and rebuild what would have been old Philippi. And so you can go around the city. Uh, these are my personal pictures that I had the privilege of taking back in 2004. It just gives perspective about this, this great city, this Roman city um, in, uh, in Macedonia. And so here, verse 16 is where we're going to pick up. Verse 16, it says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, and brought her owners much gain by fortune tellers. Listen, this was, if you want to think of it this way, this was human trafficking. They were using this girl as a slave for their gain. And, uh, and it, it wasn't for the purpose of care for the lady, this young girl. It was only to get money from this girl. And verse 17 says, she followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's crazy. That statement is true. How would you be frustrated if somebody followed you around all the time saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation? If that is a true statement, why would it grieve you? The thing is, we can't see in that verse the tone that it was said. A number of things. It, we, we know that Paul would not, by association, want to be seen with somebody that people knew to be uh, 
demon-possessed. And so this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, he turned and said, not to the girl, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their, their hope of gain was gone, they weren't concerned about the girl who was oppressed. They were concerned about their gain, their, their money, how they would get their, their means. And so it says, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace. And when they had brought, when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Now, what they didn't know, these were not Jewish cultures. They, this was the, the church of Christ, this newfound thing that Jesus established when he was on this earth. And, and for instance, why in the world did you notice who was there that was captured? It was Paul and Silas. Well, Timothy was with them. Why did they not grab Timothy or even Luke who would have been with them? Because Timothy was half Jew and half Gentile. Luke was a Gentile. And so they were, this was absolutely anti-Semite. This was re really driven by political and, uh, and really prejudicial reasons, racially and religious. And so they were trying to squish out the customs. And so the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. They were not properly tried in the court of law. They were moved to be beaten with rods before they had a right trial. Uh, what in the world did they do? What is their crime in the first place that would enable them to be charged with beating? Like, like they had to be beaten with rods. What did they do wrong? They took a, an oppressed girl and set her free by the power of Jesus. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, knowing that, listen, his life was at stake. If something happened to these two men, then his life would be at stake. So having received the order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. He, he wanted them to be completely locked in. And I, I just paused for a second. Could you imagine uh, being in a foreign land? You're, you're going, being enabled by the gospel that the Spirit of God has led you here, and now you're in this new place, and you've been beaten with rods, and you're in prison. They didn't know if they would rot in prison. They were left for dead, and, and, and in essence, this was pretty much a hopeless situation. Imagine this being a mission trip. Uh, we, would, we would be scared for our lives, scared to death. We would wonder if our parents would ever hear back from us, uh, or, or our family, our, our wives, our children. 
And so as we, we think about this, like this is a pretty despairing situation. There's no hope. They've just been wrongly tried and beaten and left in a prison. And nobody, they couldn't contact people. So verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Listen to that again. In the middle of their trial. They were praying and singing hymns to God. So much so that the prisoners were listening to them and probably even the jailer. They're singing these songs about the gospel and about the the power of a sovereign God. And it just probably didn't make any sense to people who were sitting in these chains, who deserve to be sitting in these chains, that they're sitting there listening to these men rejoice in the Lord. It's ironic that, the, that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. He said, speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Give thanks always for all things under God. About midnight, verse 25. Oh, verse 25 is not on there. I'm going to have, oh. Yeah, verse 26, I'm sorry. (laughs) And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open. And whose bonds? Not just Paul and Silas. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. Suddenly, just a move of God, an earthquake, the foundations of the prison were, were shaken to the point and the doors popped open and we can't imagine this happening, but the bonds were shaken loose and they were set free. They were no longer oppressed. In a scenario like that, if I'm in a foreign prison in the middle of nowhere and feeling like I'm left for loss, If there was an opportunity to break away, I would take off and run as quick as I could to wherever I needed to get, get away from that place. But listen, I want to challenge you that when God places a miracle, we have a different response. When we're in a tough situation and God moves, we glory in him. And so I want to challenge you with four things. That somebody that is thankful for where God has placed them, thankful in everything, in every circumstance, they respond differently than those who are unthankful. And so four things, if you're taking notes, just sitting at your couch uh, at home or as your family's gathered around a cell phone, um, first thing, the unthankful fret, but the thankful pray. Listen, uh, When we go through trials, uh, sometimes we get so torn up about how we can remedy a solution to these trials. But the reality is we feel very much powerless. And in our powerlessness with a desire to fix a problem, we fret and we try to think, man, I am, I am useless in this situation. But the reality is, when you humble yourself before an almighty God and you pray and seek his face, then God gives you wisdom moving forward. And I rejoice in that, man. It's, a, it's such a joy and a freedom in Jesus that you don't have to be enough. You can fret, or you don't have to fret. 
You, you just lay it before the Lord and he cares for you. I love what he said to the, uh, ironically, again, the Philippian church. He said this, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your, your requests be made known to God. Man, there's so much joy as you consider that uh, God has placed you in the scenario, the situation that you're in right now. He's, he's maybe not uh, done that to you, but he's allowed that to happen. And you have a decision to make. It's, it's about being content where God has placed you. And acknowledging, knowing full well that he hasn't left you alone to rot in a prison, but he's placed you there for a purpose and he's not forsaken you. Uh, I, I, need to, I need to pause for a minute and I, it seems crazy to think back that now that I live in West Virginia, there was a scenario that happened in branding my life years ago that actually happened in West Virginia before I ever imagined that I'd serve in West Virginia uh, I wanted to drive my, my girlfriend at the time up from South Point, Ohio, up to New York to meet my parents for the first time. And as we were, um, we were enjoying the weekend, there was reports that were, there was going to be snow, ice mix. Um, and so it's Saturday evening, we thought we need to get home. I was in ministry at the time, so I knew I had to be there Sunday morning ready to go. And so as we traveled home south of Morgantown, and you know the tops of those mountains, you're not only cresting the hill, but you're also weaving back and forth all the way down from Pittsburgh to Charleston. And so as we were driving, you know, I'm going 55 miles an hour, which is probably slow for most people in West Virginia. It just seems crazy how fast people go on those windy roads. We're sitting in the middle of this, going down the road, and we crested the top of a hill and our car took a 360 degree turn. We just spun going 55 miles an hour down the interstate. It's middle of night at this point and our car rests. It's, and it was in Braxton County. I think it's crazy. It's in the Flatwoods, Sutton area. And our car rested just shy of an overpass that probably would have killed us in that moment. And if you're in the middle of the night, probably 10 o'clock on a, on a night that there's not really good weather, you sit alone in the median and you feel the darkness of that moment. No cars coming from behind, no cars coming this way, and you're parked in the middle of the mountains, in the middle of nowhere. And I remember having this feeling of being alone, but immediately acknowledging that we are not alone. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, Brandy, I said, let's, let's pray. And, the, and what we prayed in that moment uh, was the overflow of our understanding that the Lord is at hand. We prayed, Lord, we know that we're in this median right now, that, that you, have, you have allowed this to happen. And God, will you send help in this moment? Will you bring somebody? Will you help us to know that you are near and before we could say amen, I'm not fabricating this story like some maybe televangelist. Before we could say amen, there was a knock on the, the window of our car. 
And we didn't hear anybody pull up. We didn't see lights pull up. But apparently a car had pulled up on the other side, um, heading north. And they came and knocked on our window. And it was a pastor. It was a deacon. And it was a missionary. The pastor and deacon had driven down to Charleston to pick up a missionary to be a part of their church on Sunday morning. And they happened to be going up and they stood there and helped us and spoke to us. And after about an hour of having church in the middle of the median, our car was back on the road and we were heading back down home. I say that to say the Lord maybe even early in our ministry was teaching us that even though it seems like a moment of despair and God has left us almost for dead, He's forsaken us. The truth of this verse says the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And so the unthankful fret, but the thankful pray. Just trust him. The next thing, the unthankful sulk but the thankful sing. You know the story. They're sitting in, the, in the, their bonds in the prison. And when you pray in a prison, a lot of times you're just praying in secret in the quiet of your heart. Nobody really probably hears what's going on. But when you begin to sing for joy in the middle of a prison while you've been beaten and you're sitting there in bars. I love what Spurgeon said. Any fool can sing in the day. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who sings when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They're not in the power of men. When when you understand that even in your darkest moment, God is near, that, has, that song have, on your heart needs to be written by the Lord. It can't come from you in your despair. And so listen to what it says, Numbers. We just recently went through this passage, I remember, a couple months ago. It says, and the people of Israel also wept again. They said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish We ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlics. And listen, but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all. Hold up. There's nothing at all but this thing that God has provided. A million people wandering in the wilderness and there's nothing at all but the provision of God caring for his people. And so when you look and you say, how could God do this? Remember all the blessings of what God has done, how he's provided, and don't sulk in that position. Begin to sing. Let a song wellow up in your heart. Uh, Singing is the last thing they wanted to do. Their bones were hurting and broken maybe even. Their skin was ripped open to sores, and they were tired probably with complete exhaustion. They'd been wrongly tried. They couldn't find comfort. Uh, you just think about with the sores and the bones, it's hard to find a way, and it's probably not comfortable the way they were locked into their chains. But they sang. They had a song in their heart that didn't originate from themselves. The unthankful sulk, but the thankful sing. 
Number three, if you're a note taker, the unthankful grumble, but the thankful rejoice. Uh, the idea of when they, they say, sing a hymn or, or hymneo, it's the idea that you are singing, singing praise to God. It's not just that they were singing, but they were singing praise to God. Uh, you know, when we go in situations, and honestly, when I go in a, a tough season of life, many times I go to a melancholy type of music, and I use music to soothe me and, and calm me. And, and as I, I, I want to be encouraged by the music, probably in some ways like Saul desired for David to play the harp, just to, just to have this calm in the midst of storms. And sometimes we listen to music to fire us up. Uh, whether you're lifting weights or playing basketball, you put music on to get you pumped up to do your best. But the reality in this situation is that they were, Paul and Silas were singing to boast in the Lord. Boast in the God who put them in prison, who allowed that to happen. Psalm 57, this, this cry of the heart of David said, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. And listen, I, I just need to pause for a second. This was written when David was running for his life from Saul. He's in hiding, bunkered down and, and scared probably in some ways for his own life. He says, my heart is steadfast, oh God, and you. My heart is steadfast and I will sing and make melody. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, boasting in God. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. I can't imagine uh, what it would have sounded like to the prisoners and the the security guard, if you want to call it. Uh, just a terrible situation to hear somebody say, God, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. I can only imagine the songs that they were singing in that day. And so number four, uh, the unthankful run, but the thankful remain. The unthankful run, but the thankful remain. I want to track down through the rest of this story just to give you the context of this scenario. Lest you read into some of the things, I, I want you to see for yourself what the Word of God says in this story. It says, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, rather than, rather than being killed probably in a gruesome way for his unfaithfulness to guard the prison doors, he was going to draw his sword was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul said, Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. We're all here. We didn't take off running. We didn't run for our lives. 
And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Can you imagine that he probably heard all night these men singing about this Jesus that had the power to set the captive free, had the power to break the chains of bondage, that these guys believed wholeheartedly that Jesus had placed them there and they just trusted him in the middle of their sorrow. And right here they said that the man that had been hearing it all night probably annoyed with it at one point during the night. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And listen, the power of God at work, even in the midst of this crazy situation, uh, he took Uh, the same hour of the night, and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, and he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now listen, none of this would have happened if at the moment they could escape, they did escape. None of what God is at work doing would have happened if they hadn't trusted that God had placed them in the place of bondage they were in at the time. The crazy thing, and I I thought about this, and I know this is, I've never thought about this in the context of this passage. I've never read it anywhere. I might be, I, I don't even remember hearing it everywhere. But God took a soldier who was guarding a prison and turned him into a good Samaritan. You saw in the passage it said that not only did he clean his wounds, the, the men's wounds, but brought him into his own home and fed him. They, he actually cared for, for these men that he was forced to be guarding all night. God changed his heart and he turned into a good Samaritan. Uh, that is so good to me to think about. I just want to uh, speak just for a, a moment um, when something begins to cost us something, uh, the first chance we get, a lot of times we run. Uh, when things begin to get painful, or maybe there's, uh, there's a little bit of struggle in our life, a lot of times the first chance we get is how can we get out of this uh, challenging situation. Um, my wife and I came here uh, seven months ago And from that point on, knowing that Steve was leaving and a number of changes that have happened over the last couple of months, uh, just just a lot of things have happened and has drawn many people to Brandy and I to say, you know, man, I feel bad that you have to deal with this. Um, A number of people have said, I bet you wouldn't have come if you would have known this is what you were signing up for. Uh, I I just want to assure you of a couple things. Um, this, this is not just my sentiment, but it's my wife. My wife and I are in unity about this. Uh, we are thankful in this situation, um, as you should be. Uh, you, you ought to be, the, the, the whole church, every person in the worldwide church, the call is for us to be thankful in everything And let me be honest with you, I believe that God has brought us here when he did even for this moment. 
I believe with all my heart that he brought us here even for this season. I believe that God is, is and will equip us to help lead the local church and just help us lead. And let me be straight honest that I believe that when we were born again into the family of God, that God not only equipped us with the ministry of reconciliation between God and man, that we are preaching and heralding the message that you must be reconciled back to God. But I believe as a pastor that God has called me to a ministry of reconciliation between man and man. And so in moments like these, I trust that God has and will equip us to do what God is calling us to. And I will say this for both, uh, for both First Baptist Church of Canova and uh, those who remain at Huntington Community Church and even those who have moved on, my heart's desire is that we all come out of this prison that the enemy is seeking to lock us in. And let me be clear that when we get confused about who our enemy is, there is only one enemy of the local church and the, his name is the devil, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him. And I, I acknowledge from, from understanding of Ephesians that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood in scenarios and situations, but I believe wholeheartedly that we are wrestling against principalities and powers, things that we cannot see. And so my desire as a, a follower of Jesus and somebody that God has called to this place is to walk in this situation being thankful in everything, thankful that God has called me here. And so I call you as the body of Christ and I'm speaking to the church worldwide when I say this, these things, statements that are calling of every believer uh, to pray and don't fret. God is good. I'm calling the, the church to sing, boast in the Lord, rejoice in him. I'm calling the church to rejoice and not grumble, uh, to, to lift our attention above and seek reconciliation among men, to, to be able to walk in unity towards the, the mission field that God's called us to. And, and last but not least, to remain. Remain and not run from a scenario that requires us to step out by faith and trust God to equip us with wisdom and, and really to have our heart humbled before him.